Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carrie. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, I'm Carrie, I'm also a reader. Hi, um, Usually before I... Is this where it's supposed to be? I'm looking, looking it straight in the eyeball. Okay. Um, usually before I share, uh, I, I pray. And the prayer is something along the lines of... Um, Dear God, I'm hoping that I'm going to sound really cool and that um, I will say something brilliant and profound. My hope and my prayer is that you will actually get in there and, you know, like intercept the words and make me carry the message, if it's your will. And if not, if I'm supposed to not carry the message, then okay, cool, then I'll, I'll roll with that. But And then the secondary prayer is, and by the way, I don't really mean this, I really want to look cool. So... <laughs> So please get in there and intercede with that one, too. Um, so anyway, I'm Carrie Capulso, my reader. Um, I, we're just going to keep doing that all night. Um, I am also a, an exercise bulimic. I'm a, an attempted anorexic. Uh, I tried the chewing it up thing and spitting it out thing. It just, I didn't get it. Um, didn't know about laxatives. Glad that I didn't know. Really hope I never have to use that information. Um, you know, couldn't, I, you know, I, I tried the puking thing, but it just, my body isn't fond of puking, so it was like, you know, hands down to my navel, and suddenly nothing would come out. I'm like, this is real fun. So I would just do the binging and not do the puking. Um, and then and then after that, there was, you know, the, the joyous exercise bulimia and the compulsive dieting, because central to my disease is that I want to be able to eat vast quantities of food and not have to pay. I don't want to have to pay. I want my body to lie to you. I want my body to say that I am the same person when it comes to active and healthy and whatever these things are that my body's supposed to say. And at the same time, I want to be I want to be gorging. That's my truth. And you know that um, that's pretty much always been my truth. Like. When I was a little bitty, the food was pretty controlled. Like, we had access to it at certain times and not access to it at other times. And, um, and when it was the time to eat, I ate plenty. I, I ate a lot. I was very, very active. Um, and so I didn't have to pay very much when I was little. Um, as I got older, you know, more and more time is demanded, you know, as we stop being little people and become bigger people, like, you don't have as much playtime. You have to, you know, do homework. And so I started paying the price the more, you know, the older I got. Um, probably around puberty-ish, um, I, you know, go figure. My little girly body started changing. Things started sticking out. And uh, it was like, what? is going on, like what's going on, and and somehow I didn't understand that that's just what happens, like your body changes, your bones grow, like things widen, th- like things happen, and to me it was like, oh, I like I got fat, but only certain sections of me got fat, and it didn't occur to me that that was supposed to happen, so, um, you know, from, from around puberty, it was like, okay, diet time, and I don't, 
I had never been put on a diet as a kid, but somehow or other, I knew that I was supposed to go on a diet. And I, you know, the information's available about how to diet. The diet changes, but, you know, it's always the same idea. Like, you have some of something, and then you cut that some, and, you know, then you're on a diet. So when I was a kid, it was calories. So it was, you know, calorie-based diet. And from the beginning, you know, the little addict that I was, um, if the diet was X number of calories, then, and you were supposed to have X minus, you know, 300, and that was the same diet, well, then I wanted to have X divided by two because it gets me there faster because I want to be skinny now. I don't want to have to do this like, oh, I'm on the diet. Like, if I'm doing the suffering, if I'm doing the not getting to eat part, then I want the presents now. Like, I'm not waiting for any presents. Like, give me my goodies today, you know. And so if I dieted more, then I got the presents faster. Although the funny thing about this disease for me is that I do not ever remember getting to that place, getting to the goal weight, to the skinny enough, to the good enough, to the body is little enough, in good enough shape, whatever that thing is that I understand people have, you know, that mythical right weight, I never got there. Um, it was always not enough. I would lose some of the weight and I was obsessive scale user, like, as much as possible. I have such a long and loving relationship with my parents' scale, you know. When that thing died, it was like, oh, I just lost a good old friend. So, you know, dieting, 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 and somehow I get to maybe the magical number that I thought was supposed to be the right number, and, and then I looked down and the body wasn't right. So I was like, I've got to recalculate. Like something here went wrong. Apparently I didn't get the number right, so i got to change it. And that would, you know, repeat, 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 repeat. That was the story forever. And because I am primarily a compulsive overeater, not an anorexic, um, eventually that, because the goal kept moving, and just because I'm a compulsive overeater, like, there came a time when, well, F it. I'm not, you know, I'm never going to get there. It's ne- the body's never going to be right. I'm never going to get the present, so I may as well eat. If it was even that conscious. The truth is, you know, as a compulsive overeater, it's like, oh, butterfly food. You know, like every, all roads lead to food. You know, it need have nothing to do with food at all um, for, their, for food to be the answer to the question. Like, you know, how do you spell um, main food? Like, it's always the answer to everything. So, you know, for me, that was, um, I had in the beginning the ability to control quantity and the ability to control type of food. Over time, you know, the big book talks about, like, over time, the disease will progress. And the trick is, you know, for me anyway, it's not a straight progression. That's the pesky part. Because I think if, if I had started using and it slowly degraded, like my ability to control consistently degraded, I probably would have needed a solution a lot sooner. But the trick is that sometimes I could control it. Sometimes I could control the quantity. Sometimes I could control the type of food. Sometimes I could get the compulsive exercise to start. Sometimes I could, you know, any of the number of crazy things that I tried to get rid of the food, which is the catch, because then I cling to the idea that I am normal with food. And 
you know, that's, it's the same thing as when I get to my normal weight, when I get to my normal body, like my normal um, clothes size, when I get to my, you know, the normal foods I eat, when I get to my normal, normal, normal. Normal? Normal for who? It was never normal for me. Crazy was normal for me. Like, you know what I mean? That wasn't my normal. But the persistence of that illusion, you know, we talk, we pursue it into the gates of death. Like, I believed that normal was this thing that had never been normal. And I just had to, like, remember the, the certain combination of willpower and the right food plan and the right exercise. And if I just, like, could remember, then I'd be able to get it right again. And I'd be able to control the food again. And, you know, there's truth to that. If I could remember, I probably would be able to. I remember I came into these rooms and I, I went into a meeting. It was one of my first meetings. And I said to everyone, I figured it out. My problem is that I can't remember why I don't want to eat. And so I eat. And I just have to remember. So I wrote a song for myself to help me remember. And I sang a song in the meeting. I sang this little ditty of like, I don't know, something that I was supposed to remember so I would remember not to eat. And, you know, that's the, that's the trick of the program. Like the big book talks about, I remember, you know, reading at one point, the big, they talk about strange mental blank spots. Ooh, nailed me. Like, there are points when I go into a coma, when I go into, you know, I think it's kind of like what I imagine a seizure is like, where I'm here and I'm seeing and everything looks normal, and then maybe something seems slightly off, like the idea of an aura, and then I wake up and I'm covered in food, and I don't know how I got there, you know, and I have some vague... Vague recollection of, like, the memories of the food going in, but once it stops, I mean, once it starts, there's absolutely no way to, to, to control it. Once it's going, I have no ability to control it. And no amount of self-hatred, no amount of notes on the refrigerator, no amount of people who are supposed to protect me from the food or having an empty refrigerator or none of that can save me because I have a strange mental blank spot. And... You know, like it talks about in the book, you know, it's, okay, so I know the trick, you know, we say it's a physical, emotional, and spiritual disease. And there are the two aspects. I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. So my allergy of the body, you know, theoretically, if I don't start, I don't have to, that allergy doesn't get triggered. I don't get triggered to keep eating. Well, unfortunately, since it's food, I don't get to not start. Like, that's just another version of my disease called anorexia. So at some point, I try that every day. Like, okay, today we just won't have breakfast. You know, we'll just, we'll just not have food. And, you know, can carry that out for a while until eventually, like, it's funny because sometimes it's sane voices masquerading as, like, crazy voices masquerading as sane voices. That was a big part of my disease. Like, you know what? Anorexia is bad. Why am I trying to be an anorexic? Just eat. And it was like, well, I can't argue with that logic. I should just eat. But I'm a compulsive overeater. So once I start to just eat, I'm binging. And that, that would repeat every day, you know. And it was like that, that trick has been, you know, in early recovery, I came in and I would start to get abstinent and I'd have time and the food would get easier. And I would say, you know what? I think I don't have this disease. I think I just made it real complicated and, and I just needed like the right food plan. And once I have the right food plan, I can just control it. And I'd be binging again the next day. I have a whole collection of 30-day, 60-day, 90-day chips, a whole bunch of them. Because the second, for me, the second I took that chip, I was back in control. Um, 
there was no higher power. It was just me and the food, and I was, I was the one running the show. And as long as I was the one running the show, then the show was going to end up in food. You know, that was just the deal. So I, my abstinence, I have uh, eight years, four months, and some days of abstinence, and my abstinence is an approximation. I know it's after my last binge by some chunk of days because in the beginning I couldn't count days because it was too triggering to me. What, it became not about today. It became about winning this pretty little prize called a chip. It's my story. For some people, chips are incredibly helpful. For me, I couldn't take them for quite a while into recovery because um, I, you know, I love winning things. <laughs> so, okay, so that's um, what it was like physically. Emotionally, um, you know, we didn't do that emotion thing, you know. Um, what, emotions were optional. I didn't quite understand why people would have them. I thought it was interesting, but I couldn't quite how uh, it didn't relate to me. Like having sadness and, and jealousy and anger and all these, you know, the bad emotions, in quotes. Um, I, didn't, I didn't understand that, those, that normal people felt those. I felt hungry. That was it. I just felt hungry or happy. I was hungry or happy all the time. And, um, you know, the rest was mystery. Spiritually, I was raised within a religious tradition, a religious tradition which I now can see the beauty in, um, which for today doesn't work for me. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't give me the necessary, you know, this program we talk about, I need, I need a practical higher power. I don't, I don't need a theoretical higher power. I need a higher power that when I am looking a piece of food in the face, is going to intercede, practically. And I didn't get that from the religion I was born into. Um, or I didn't know how to harness that power. I had no, I had no access to it. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't have much of a spiritual life. I had a selection of superstitions. I'd have things I'd re- repeat obsessively to keep cars from crashing or stop being late from class or, like, whatever it was. And the funny thing was, it worked, you know. Weirdly, I'd, like, say the certain combination of prayers to not be late to class and then my teacher would be late or you know what I mean like sometimes it worked most of the time it worked um, but you know that didn't, <laughs> didn't convince me to have a real spiritual life though it was just like you know foxhole prayers like ah quick they need something quick something intercede and if you would ask me what I believed in I would have argued you into the ground to prove that I was an atheist you told me you had spiritual beliefs. My favorite game was explaining how your beliefs were stupid and how mine were much better because I didn't believe in anything, um, which was also untrue. The irony is I did believe in something, but I just didn't know what it was, but I, I had this intellectual pride about not having belief. So, um, so, you know, I came into these rooms. I didn't know that I was powerless. Um, and how I got into these rooms, um, somehow, somewhere along the line, I was 12 steps. I don't know who that was. I don't know how that was. Um, my feeling is that I read it somewhere about OA. All I knew was that um, OA was a place for people who ate the way alcoholics drank and that it was free. Those were my two pieces of information. Don't know where I got them. And then years later, when I, um, you know, I, I got to a place where I couldn't start the diet anymore. I couldn't start the compulsive exercise. And for me, my my top weight was probably 30 to 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I don't actually know because the more of my drug of choice I'm using, the higher I am and the higher I am, the foggier everything is. Um, Most of my memories from being younger are very, very vague. Um, The only clear memories I have are around food, picking food, making food, eating food with people, being deprived of food. Um, The rest is, is vague. 
you know, I talk about this a lot, but if, if alcohol or pot or, you know, I never tried heroin or crack, but if they worked for me, I would be, I would be a junkie. I would be an alcoholic. They don't work for me, not the way food does. Food, for me, is the magic drug. If I want to come up, it brings me up. If I want to go down, it brings me down. Like, it solves my problems. My problems being life. <laughs> you know, my problems being being human, apparently. Um, you know, it's very effective. And to this day, it is effective. But, unfortunately, it requires more and more of my drug to be able to solve my problems of being a human. And I am not willing to pay the price for that fix anymore. Um, and, you know, at some point, I, I, you know, the diets weren't working. I was starting to have to pay. Like, in, when I was in the most compulsive exercise, it was probably about, I think it's about 21 hours a week I'd exercise. Um, you know, sometimes I'm a bencher, so it would be like nine hours in one day, then none for three days, then, you know, 11 hours one, like, because that's my nature. So I would do that, and I would try not to eat, or I'd be on the, you know, zero grams of fat diet or the what, ridiculous craziness. And then um, the diet would fail the exercise would fail. Like, probably in my sickest with the, the exercise, believe me, and the dieting, I was probably still about 10 pounds, 10 to 12 pounds heavier than I am now. And that was like, you know how many hours I was wasting on that? Hours and hours and hours. Could have cured cancer. Didn't, you know, didn't even cure the fat that I was trying to cure. So, you know, for me, like, not only from this program do I gain, you know, the body that I get, like, and part of this program for me was coming in and saying, I had to get, I had to understand that I was powerless. And that meant putting aside all of my lies about how, how I was okay with the size of my body and how, um, how I wasn't crazy or how I just needed to focus more or I needed to put more willpower into it. Like I had to, I had to actually give up my lies and try to not use food and fail. That's when I started to be able to recover. You know, um, you know, in this, in the, and how it works. We have, you know, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. Those to me are steps negative zero and negative one and zero. Um, if I don't have steps negative one and zero in place, I am not willing to take or ready to take certain steps. And my first year in this program was all about working steps negative one and zero. I had to decide I wanted what you had, and I had to be willing to go to any lengths. And the truth is, the lengths I had to go to, in some ways they were serious, in some ways they were like so not serious, you know, um, ultimately. Um, so once I got to a place in this program where I was desperate enough and clear enough to see that I was powerless over food, that my absolute best efforts to control it failed. They failed. Always came back to failing. Once I got that, then I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm really ready to work certain steps, you know, because, and before the program, there's no point, for me, there was no point in knowing that I was powerless if there was no solution. So I always had to cling to the idea that I had power over the disease. Once I discovered there was a solution, even if I didn't have it, it was like finally I could see that I had no control over food. And, you know, from that, I get to start, I got a sponsor. You know, I, I wanted a perfect sponsor, some magical being, you know. I got someone who was a man and an anorexic, not my story, and he was my temporary sponsor, because God forbid I commit to an actual sponsor. 
because <laughs> it could be the wrong one, you know. So I got a temporary sponsor, and he started me working the steps out of the big book, you know, the book named Alcoholics Anonymous, from the foreword to the, you know, the very beginning, like the super first page. And, you know, every day when we read it, the first part we read was, you know, why are we doing this? Why am I reading this book? And, you know, it says in the beginning of the book, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. There it is. So the book for me is a textbook. If I want to precisely know how not to have to be hella crazy with food, then I have a textbook. And I get the choice whether I'm going to do what it says, work for these 100 alcoholics, or I cannot do it. And not doing it led me to a year in these rooms without recovery. And it wasn't super fun, really. So I became willing to just set aside my beliefs that I knew best and go through that book word by word, line by line. If I didn't know exactly what a word meant, I looked it up in the dictionary. If it said, my sponsor said, if it says he, you, you substitute the word she so you can relate to it. And if it said alcohol, I substitute food. Um, I went through the entire book that way, and suddenly it was a book about me. You know, I had read the whole book before, and it had nothing to do with me. It was some fascinating story about some alcoholics in 1939, but it wasn't my story, you know. So then I, I read it and substituted the words, and I was like, oh, my God, this is my story. This is my truth. And once I got that, then I was willing to do what it said they did to fix the problem. And the way I fix a problem, they say we need a complete psychic change. My way of being in the world always leads to food. Always. So if I want to not have the end of the road be food, then i got to change what I do at the beginning of the road. You know? And now I have to change what I do every step of the way along the road. And you know, for me, my, my first year in the program without recovery, I went to five to 700 meetings. Didn't get abstinent. So you know, that's my story. Five to 700 meetings, not abstinent. When I started working the steps, that's when I started getting abstinent. That's what my current abstinence dates from, from about the third step. And I, I wasn't someone who could get abstinent then work the steps because the abstinence comes, for me, came from working the steps. If I don't have a complete psychic change, how am I going to put down the food? You know, that's my truth. I know that there are other people who do it other ways. That's not my reality. My reality is by working the steps, I become a different person and by 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 finding a higher power, my way of interacting with the entire universe changes. And then I don't have to use food. Um, you know, we talk about having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Um, that's what I got from working the steps. I didn't get a pony. I didn't get, like, you know what I mean? Like, a, a, a tribe of naked men, you know, prancing before me to do my bidding. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I did not get those things. You know, at least not from the steps. Um, <laughs> so I get, I get a spiritual awakening from the steps. And what that gives me is a way to live life, which means I don't have to be crazy. I don't have to be crazy with food. I don't have to, I don't have to live in this weird bubble where you can just be happy and hungry. Like, now the funny thing is having no real emotions for most of my life. Now when I cry, I'm like, look at me crying. I'm so cool. I can cry. Like, some part of me is always watching me crying or being angry, and I'm like, yeah, look at that. Look at that emotion. That's so freaking cool. Because that was not, you know, it always feels like, because, tr- you know, I remember when I first started getting abstinent, like right around four, it's just like crying, 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 you know, thinking like, I am never going to stop crying. I'm going to drown everyone on this planet from all these tears. Like, everyone's going to die. And, you know, so I better not start crying because we're going to all have a problem. And the funny thing is, 
you know, A, that stops. Like, I don't, ha- I'm, I don't end up, now at eight and a half years, I'm not miserable most of the time. So if anyone's in the crying phase right now, it does pass. Um, and, like, not only that, but I, I, I realize, like, that there, there's so many ways to cry. Like, I can go into a bathroom, and I'm like, <laughs> and then it's done. Like, no tears come out, makeup's not much. Like, there are a thousand ways to do emotions. I can be angry and just, like, dig my fingernails into something, and it's just as satisfying as punching someone in the head. So I hear. I've never punched someone in the head. Maybe it's more satisfying. I don't know. But, so I get, you know, through having this program, I get to have this thing called a human life. You know? That's, that's what I get. And, it's amazing to be a person. You know, I didn't know that before. I was always trying to be perfect, better, blah, 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 blah. But instead, I get to be real. And I get to, as a result of the realness, I get to have friends that can be real with me and that I don't have to fix them. They can talk to me about what's going on and I can be like, wow, that sucks. And, like, I don't have to, wow, okay, well, let's figure out the solution. Like, once I realize I don't have to find the solution for my own reality, then I can start to realize, oh, I don't have to solve it for anyone else's either. Like, we're all on a path. We're all working it out, you know. It's going to be okay. Um, Even if it's not okay, it's okay, you know. So, you know, from working one, I'm, I find that if I work the steps, I am inevitably tossed into the step that comes next. If I work one, I'm tossed into two. Like, oh, powerless? Life's unmanageable? Well, you can stay alone or you can find something better than yourself to figure it all out. It's like, okay, well then, you know, it's like a money-back guarantee. Like, nobody, you know, you don't have to, to take every step. You don't have to actually give anything up. Like, no one demands my house in payment for the right to work a second step. Like, I could just try it. And if it's crap, okay, cool. Take your own will back. No problem. And that's amazing. For me as an addict, dear God, don't tell me what to do because I guarantee I'll want to do the opposite. Like, this is so ridiculous. I'll go to see stand-up comics, and I won't laugh. You know why? Because they expect me to laugh because it's a stand-up comedy thing. Like, who does that? It's ridiculous. It's such perverse addict behavior, you know? Like, you can't tell me what to do. Ridiculous. So now I go and I actually can laugh. That's that's a little perk of recovery. Um, So I get to find, I get to slowly find a higher power that can restore me to sanity. And the funny thing is, I don't actually have to believe it for it to happen, you know, for a long time, I thought, like, I had to be able to see it or I had to, to believe it for anything to happen. And it's not true for me. I can absolutely believe that I will never be abstinent. I can believe that um, I will fail at any given job. I can believe that I will be alone and, you know, sex-free forever. I can believe that I will be in a body that I hate. I can fervently believe all these things. I can believe them. And as long as I do the footwork to change them, they will change. That's the amazing thing about the step. I don't have to believe that it works. And the great thing was, by doing it, I didn't believe that it was going to work. I did my steps, and I was like, okay, whatever, doing busy work, fine, I've done plenty of that in K-12, through so what's a little more, you know? And the weird thing was, it actually changed me. And, and through watching me be changed, I started to believe that I could be changed. And that's an amazing thing. Like, there are these 164 pages in a book that some drunkards with less than a year of sobriety or less, you know, less than 100 people with only a couple years of sobriety, they wrote down some gobbledygook that had worked for them. And by reading that gobbledygook, I get to 
I get to have an amazing life. I get an emotional life. I get a spiritual life. I have, I have spiritual principles now. Bless you. Um, I have, I have a higher power that works for me. Practically, really works for me. And the most amazing thing is, I don't get it at all. I don't have to. You know, I remember someone said once that, you know, a higher power by definition cannot fit in my head. If it fit in here, it wouldn't be a higher power. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, that frees me from having to figure out a lot of stuff. Like, all I get to do is I get to try on, and, the, you know, the big book says we are quick to see where religious people are right instead of thinking they're all idiots. Like, why don't I try some of the things that they find useful and see if they work for me? I thought I was such a scientist before I came in here. I was like, I have facts and figures, and I, you know, I knew, like, I would think everything. I thought I was so logical. I couldn't have been less logical. Like, I, you know, I'd see the same evidence over and over and be like, oh, that evidence isn't real. This evidence that's crazy is actually the real evidence. Like, and the same with the higher power. Like, I would see, you know, things happening that I couldn't understand or explain, and I'd be like, well, there's no reason for that. Okay, maybe there's not, but maybe there is. Like, how do I, you know, just horrible science. So now I'm relieved to be a slightly better, you know, logician. Um, so then, you know, once I, I come to believe slowly that a power could restore me to sanity, could, just could, it might, doesn't mean it's gonna, might hate me, whatever. It could, though. So then once I do that, what's the fear in turning my will and my life over? Like, how do I lose from doing it? And... And then when I did that, that's actually when the abstinence came. Because in the end, in the, in the last, say, four paragraphs of the A12 and 12 and step three, it says, in all times of emotional disturbance and indecision, we pause, we ask for quiet, and we say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will be done. Because the question in the book is, well, great, cool, so I'm supposed to turn over my will in my life. What does that actually mean? How do I actually really do it? You know? And that's what it says. That's the answer to how I really do it. And by doing that process hundreds of times a day, minute by minute, I got abstinent. Minute by minute, abstinence was given and food was taken. Literally minute by minute, second by second. You know, I can't tell you how many times I said, you know what, at midnight, you're going to binge. You're going to binge this sexy, huge, juicy, nasty binge, you know? Come midnight. So just hang out till midnight, and then you're going to binge. And it was like, okay, okay. And it was white-knuckling, because my job in this program is to exert my will along God's lines. I don't get to not do things. I have to exert my will. It's just that I'm not putting it towards what I want to do. I'm putting it towards what my higher power would have me do. So I get to work my ever-loving booty off towards not having to binge, towards using my plan of eating. And then if there's enough God in me, if my spiritual recovery is strong enough and my emotional recovery is strong enough, then my body starts to change. That's the way it had to go for me. I wanted it the other way. I wanted my body to change, and then, you know, if I felt like it, I'd get some emotional and spiritual recovery. didn't work that way. You know, for me, it had to be the other way around. And then minute by minute, the abstinence added up, and it added up, and it added up. And now it's, you know... It's been a ridiculous amount of time since I've been crazy with food, since I've dieted, since I've used, you know, any craziness for food. I don't do it anymore, one second at a time. And why is because I do these 12 steps. Um, and as I do them, not only do I get, you know, freedom from food and does my body change, and, I, and my hatred in the fourth step, I get to write about how much I hate my body. 
Woo, how I hate, how much I hate everything, you know, really. And then how much I'm afraid of everything and, and my, you know, crazy behavior with sex and all that stuff. Thank you. Um, slowly but surely, as I do a fourth step on that stuff, it gets to change. I, I used to be scared to death of spiders and bugs. I did a fear inventory on it. Now I'm the one who picks them up in her hands and carries them to bushes. Like, how did that happen? I don't know. I used to hate my body. Now I'm like, how did you get so good looking? You know? Like, that's amazing. You know, not all the time. God knows sometimes I'm like, ugh. But more often than not, I can understand now why people like me, which never used to make sense to me before. That's amazing. Like, that's amazing. That was not my reality before this program, you know? And slowly but surely, if I just do what it says, like, I also get to see that I have flaws and that I've harmed people. And I wasn't an evil person. I just was human. And then if I had my reasons for harming people, then arguably so does everyone around me who harms me. Arguably, we're all pretty much the same, and your defects and my defects are not that different. And then once I get to see us all as sick people, then suddenly it's like, I don't have to hate you as much, you know, as much. Um, I don't have to, like, walk around, you know, afraid of what you're going to think as much. Like, I, get, I start to get freedom from that. And if I screw up, which I will, because we have a 10-step which says, oh, by the way, you're going to screw up again. In case you're thinking you get to be perfect now, nah, we have some more steps for you. Um, so when I screw up, I get to go back and make amends and fix it. How amazing to have, to be able to say I'm sorry. Oh, my God, I did not grow up in that world. And it's so freeing to be able to say it. My amends have all been hysterically funny. Like, I made amends to this one guy I dated for mocking his spiritual beliefs. And we were walking along the beach, and he was like, so is there, is there something you have to tell me? And I had already made the amends. So I was like, what else could I have to tell him? I don't understand. He thought I had cancer and that I was dying. Because why else would I apologize to him? That tells you how many apologies I never gave before this program. Like, I had to be dying to give an apology to this poor man, you know? So, and then I get to, you know, you know, do these steps bulkingly. I get to bulk. I get to, like, not want to do them and suffer and then do them as my willingness increases. And these people in these rooms are always here. If I don't feel like going to meetings, you know what? Someone else still wants to go. So I get to come and hang out when I'm ready. And if I'm not ready, I get to go out and keep using. It's my choice. What do I feel like doing? You know, how do I want this life to be? Um, and then I get to seek a higher power and carry the message. And try not to be a douche to everyone around me. Um, I think that's it. Anyone has questions? Yeah. Um, the question is, can I give more detail about my higher power? Um, it changes. It really changes from day to day, from minute to minute. Um, my deepest conception of it, I suppose, is that um, it's funny and um, it likes to do things which make me laugh and it likes to do things that teach me to be a better human and have a better life. Um, what it looks like, what it smells like, what all that stuff, I don't know. It changes. I, I put different faces on it. It's like... Um, I don't know. It's like some, I just like, oh, what face should you have today? Okay, this time you're this gender. This time you're this race. This time you're this age. This time it give it different faces depending on what I feel connected to that day. Um, or sometimes there is a lot of them. Like it can, it changes. Um, I guess the biggest thing is that I, I, I'm content to not ever understand. I'm content to not know. And I, I'm content with the idea that 
um, I make up faces for my higher power and I make up logic for it, even though there may not be, like, even though, like, sometimes I'm okay with the idea that I don't understand the world and that's okay. And that there is suffering and I don't understand why. And I don't have to. I don't have to understand why. And because there's also goodness and I don't understand why. You know? So, so it's very, um, like I said, it changes. I mean, I, I have a spiritual tradition, which I'll talk to you about after if you want, that I, that I practice very inconsistently. But um, I, I happily pull from lots of traditions to find, to find things that work for me. So. Um, in the beginning, when your abstinence was like precarious, and how did you handle having like reasonable meals or stuff like that? Because that's something that I'm finding a little scary now. Yeah. Um, how did I handle, in the beginning when my absence was precarious, how did I handle having reasonable meals? Um, um, I didn't. I guess is the truth. That's the scariest part of the program. That um, I don't have the ability to have reasonable meals. That, that what's gonna, what will allow me to have a reasonable meal is not me. It's, it's working the steps and reliance on something greater than me. Um, it would be, you know, praying before a meal. It would be um, sometimes calling in a meal to my sponsor or to a fellow. Um, the, the most profound part about step one for me is that I understand that food is terrifying and that I have no control over it. And that's a great place to be because that's the foundation of all the rest of my abstinence. That from that, for me, came the willingness to do everything else. So... Um, you know, I did, I did everything. I, I, I used all the old tools I had. Like, I would, um, if I thought I was going to eat something I shouldn't, like, I would go and I would smell candles obsessively at the store. I have, like, 900 candles, 35 body sprays, like, anything. Sometimes I needed sensory input, so I would use that. Um, I mean, just a million little techniques to try to get through the day. A lot of praying, a lot of praying. And step work, ultimately step work. The weird thing is somehow the step work, which seems to have nothing, have nothing to do with food, somehow changes my relationship to food. And it's totally bizarre and mysterious process. But I don't know if that helps. Um, how did you do the part where you were saying that you, you, had, you wanted your body to respond first and it didn't, and how you, and also you mentioned the whole like, not having patience in that. Um, how, how do you turn it over or, or yeah um, how do I deal with my my attitude impatience and my body um, my body not doing what I wanted to um, um, kicking and screaming that it may not ever yeah um, kicking and screaming is a lot of how I did it you know we there's this thing like anything we let go of has claws on its back like claw marks on its back because I don't want to give it up you know so kicking and screaming is how I did that um um, reluctantly, angrily, <laughs> you know, um, fearfully. Um, I guess it's such a funny thing. Like, you know, I hit a point where I was so miserable with my behavior with the food that I, I worked a deep, real, meaningful third step, which for me was, God, I will be 800 pounds. I'm okay with that. If you need me to be 800 pounds, fine. I take it. I accept it. Because I can't do it anymore. Like, it makes me almost cry to think of it now because it was such, like, I was at the bottom and I couldn't control it and I knew it. And if that meant that my higher power needed me to die, die a death from morbid obesity or anorexia, I was willing. 
It wasn't my business anymore. And ultimately, that thing, like, my body is not my business. It's not mine. I didn't create it. I, I'm, the, I'm the caretaker. This is like ancestors having sex, making babies, and somehow I'm here. Like, I don't, this isn't mine. Like, I didn't make this body. You know, I just inherited it. And somehow or other, like, I just got desperate, and I, I gave it up. And it was like, okay. Okay, and some days I still am kicking and screaming, and I'm like, but I don't want to have this kind of body, and I don't want to get older, and I don't want to, you know, sometimes I still do, and I, you know, when I'm willing, I talk to my friends about it, I talk to my fellows, I talk about it in meetings, and I trust that it's just part of the disease, and, you know, I'm talking to a friend, and we were talking about, like, okay, I don't know if I've gained weight or if I'm just crazy and think I've gained weight, and, you know, we were talking about, okay, either way, the solution is the steps, Either I am gaining weight, or I just think I'm gaining weight. Either way, I'm crazy, and the solution is 1 through 12, you know? So the solution for me is always 1 through 12. It's like, you know, a lot of stuff around that fourth step, like resentments on my body. What, what parts of my body do I hate? Why do I hate them? Why, what part of me is affected by hating them? And then I go back and I pray the resentment prayers so that I can ask something to intercede between my perception of my body and me. And then I get to look at what's my part in my hatred. How am I participating in this? Like, why do I believe this idea that my body is bad or wrong? My body is amazing. It's amazing. Why do I hate it so much? I get to look at that. And, you know, I get to, it slowly it changes. Slowly. Slowly it changes. Thank you, Carrie. With over eight years, does the need to control and win come back? And if it does, what do you do around it? Yes, does the need, uh, with eight years, does the need to control and win come back? Um, yes, it does. <laughs> um, I had a vicious, mean, and nasty seven year itch. Woo! That one was like seven years. I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like going to meetings. I want to work the steps. Like, nah, 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 nah. like I just didn't want to. I didn't. I was a total brat. I did not feel like doing it anymore. Like, I worked it long enough. I'm finished. I graduate. You know. And luckily, like so many of my good friends were in this program. They're like, oh, that's funny. You want to come with me to the meeting? Or hey, let's have a meeting in the car on the way to driving to you know the movie we're going to see. Like. I have surrounded myself with my fellowship enough that I don't get too far from these rooms, you know. They follow me everywhere I go. Like, they follow me. You know, I'm at a restaurant, and there are the people in my fellowship sitting around me at the restaurant, you know what I mean? So, um, how I deal with it is the same way I dealt with it the first time. Like, the cool thing is, because the big book's a textbook, um, and there are promises in most of the steps, if not all the steps, I'm researching that, um, I get to say, like, okay, what promise am I not getting right now? Like, you know, the obvious ones, the nine-step promises. Like, do I have economic insecurity? Well, then, okay, cool. So diagnostically, do I then owe someone an amends? Like, if by doing nine I get this promise, if I don't have this promise, then what am I not doing? And I get to go back and kind of figure it out that way. And a lot of times that really helps me. But, yeah, so what I do is I, it, honestly, what I do is I keep showing up, I talk about it, and I'm like, Oh, look at little me. Little human me is pounding right now. Okay, little human me. Like, come on in. It's cool. You can you can be a pain in my ass. That's fine. Like, I don't I don't have to control my my villainy anymore. It's just part of humanity, you know. So I kind of roll with it as much as possible and do the work, do the step work. That's what I do too, to the best of my ability, bulkingly. The end. Thank you very much for letting me.